Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Cinemas podcast. This week we'll be discussing the Whitney Houston documentary, Whitney, Can I Be Me?, and we also have an interview with the film's director, Nick Broomfield, coming up later. I'm Sam Howlett, and this week I'm joined by two uh, collaborators. First up, she just wants to dance with somebody. It's Jenna Hobbs. <laughs> Hi! Second. <laughs> Where are you going? Where are you going? I will always love him. It's Harry Chapman. Hello, that was nice. That Thank was you. nice. Oh, I would have said Both that anyway. Were nice, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Put a lot of thought into those. Well done. Thanks, Sam. I, didn't, I thought, can I do something for myself? But I didn't. <laughs> You don't want to blow your own trumpet. No. What could I have done? What's an untapped Whitney Houston hit that you can ram into a pun? Um, a bit of pre-warning. He's bit. every woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's what I was looking for. Oh. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, as I mentioned, we'll be discussing uh, the Whitney Houston documentary this week. And... Musician documentaries are in vogue of late. So a few years ago, we had uh, the Amy Winehouse documentary, Amy, which everybody loved. And also a few months ago on the podcast, we talked about the Oasis documentary, Supersonic. So the opening pitch for this week's episode will be, which musician would you like to see brought back to life in a documentary? We'll start with Harry Chapman, shall we? So my my musicians aren't, aren't dead. Is that okay? That's fine. Okay, cool. Um, so I've I want to do a documentary about Chaz and Dave, <laughs> everyone's favourite Cockney duo. Apart from the Craze, obviously, people love the Craze. Um, Chaz and Dave, and then the reason behind this is so Chaz has been diagnosed with cancer last year. I thought the way you said that it sounded like you were making it up. Yeah. Like, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> So fact. Ch- fact. Ch- Chaz, Chaz has cancer. Yeah. And so they've had to recently cancel uh, cancel some gigs. And so uh, and so I go go and chat to them and, and see what's going on, how that's affected them, and then look back at previous gigs they've done. Chaz and Dave have done a lot of stuff. I, I, I saw them a few years ago. Very entertaining. Very entertaining. And I've come up with a title that I think will win me points with Sam. Mm-hmm. They did four FA Cup songs, mm-hmm. and the title of the of the documentary will be called Ozzy's Dream, mm. based on that famous Tottenham player. Ozzy. Thank you. Yep. Appreciate that. Sam's a Tottenham fan. I've gone for the points. I didn't really think about how the title fits with the documentary. Yeah. It's all a bit dreamlike. But yeah, Chaz and Dave, great entertainment. They could talk about how sainsbury's don't sell rabbit anymore and how yeah. that might have affected sales of their songs <laughs> and whether whether their song directly brought down well, rabbits in we sainsbury's. talked about this earlier we didn't did. we it's we like did. it's like what, was it a, it's like a chicken or egg yeah. question what came yeah. first you know we, did, yeah did did sainsbury's start selling less rabbit because Chaz and dave pointed it out and they had loads of spare rabbit or did 
did the song for Saints Streets to stop saying How how was the rabbit sold? Do you know? Was it in like sort of like a, like I a slab it, of rabbit? No, or? I imagine it was like a like a chicken. Like sort of like sort of prepared. Right. But like you know how you buy like a yeah, chicken? Yeah, yeah. Like, like that. Okay. Am I missing something here? Is there like a famous thing that Saints stopped rabbit, rabbit, rabbits? Rabbit, no, I know rabbit, that, rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. Listen, I know the song. We've got, <laughs> listen, we've got more rabbit we've got more rabbit than Sainsbury's. Oh, is that in That's the song? Yeah. The oh sorry. Sainsbury's used to be well, not I don't know, they're famous for it, but they were known for selling rabbit. Oh yeah. okay. Okay, alright, you've cleared it all up for me. I don't know when that stopped. Yeah, Ozzy's yeah. dream, sort of looking back on their career due to yeah. due to illness of Chaz, how that affects Dave as well. It's, it, it'll be emotional. But also a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Oh, you, you can include the stuff about Only Fools and Horses as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, lovely. That's stuff. a nice saga going on there. See? <laughs> Lots to get delve into. Yeah, Jenna Hobbs. Well, listen, Harry got given the question before me, so yeah, I sorry. haven't had as long to prepare. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, my answer really, really <laughs> suggested that I'd had that for a long time. <laughs> I think Harry's had about an extra ten minutes. <laughs> you, to be honest, so. <laughs> I used most of that looking up the FA Cup song <laughs> so uh, we spoke about Supersonic very briefly and I think yeah. Oasis like to think that they were the band of the 90s I think Oasis are wrong the band of the 90s Spice Girls oh yeah yeah yeah, I Go think on. there are a lot of girls my age who would agree with me. Yeah, um, and boys actually the Spice Girls were for everyone um, yeah I would love to see a documentary all about it you've got the highs you've got the lows when jerry left the nation's hearts broke and also there's five of them and in that you've got victoria falling in love with david beckham and their yeah. secret car park trysts 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 i don't know i never know that one <laughs> well anyway i think trysts yeah well anyway i've said it now <laughs> i'm sticking with trysts so okay. and then you know you've got you've got everything you've got the movie what went on there yeah I think there's a lot of material, world tours, fragrances, dolls, the tour bus, what happened. Would, would you try and just encompass everything? Everything. Everything. Start to finish. No. How, how long is it going to be? Is it going to be like OJ Simpson? <laughs> is it going to be like the, is it going to be like a ten-hour documentary on Spice Girls? Yeah, because there was a different <laughs> member of Spice Girls to begin with, and they got rid of her and brought in what Baby. Was, what was her What's name? name? I don't know. Oh. But we'll, we'll, we'll find was it. She, was she originally baby or was she like, you know, like well, well, um, Game Boy Spice? Jerry Honeywell, I think, came up with all the names for them. Oh. Jerry Honeywell was a real driving force in the Spice Girls. She also came up with Girl Power, which would be the title of my documentary. Nice. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Harry's gone for, you know, the weird and wacky. But here I've chosen what the people want. The people's champion, <laughs> the people. Jenna Hall. Yeah. Which Spice Girl would you be, Jenna? Now listen. <laughs> yes, the rumours are true. Loaded question. <laughs> For about five years, I did make my family call me Baby Spice. Five years? It's the first thing you said to me when I met you, Jenna. <laughs> Hi, I'm Baby. Oh, <laughs> uh... fair, we still have to call Jenna Baby. <laughs> <laughs> this week joining us on the podcast is Baby. Hi, Baby. <laughs> That's why you're not allowed to do the Baby Driver podcast. <laughs> Coming out soon. Um, yeah, no, I did make people call me Baby. Um, and still, to this day, if there was going to be like a Spice Girls dress up and I couldn't be Baby Spice, if someone else tried to take that from me, <laughs> I'd be furious. 
Who would, who would you be, Sam? Uh, I always liked Scary Spice growing up. You've got the hair. You've got the hair. Got the hair yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So that that would be me. I come on, Harry. Who I, are you? Um, sporty. Who would be Sporty Spice? Maybe. I always thought of Jake as more of a sporty, but he could be posh. Oh, maybe I could be posh. I do like David Beckham. Yeah. I have a question for you, Jenna. Mm. If you couldn't get all the members back for this documentary, oh, would you question. still do it? Is it worth doing without all of them? Because I imagine there's one who definitely won't. Do you think it's Vicky B? I think Vicky B won't do it. Listen, she Famously, did... you know, completely removed herself. But she did come back for the final tour, didn't she? That's true. Did you go to the final tour? No, I didn't. <laughs> I really wanted to tell you, you I did, take but a minute. I didn't. <laughs> Um, I think Vicky would be on board, but if she wasn't, listen, there's plenty of footage we can get of her. Yeah. She and David okay. did their own... That's the other thing. She and David did a documentary for a bit, they didn't did. they? We could get footage from that to put into it. Okay, so you'd still go ahead without... I would. It would be a real shame. Yeah. And I think it would almost this be like... hour <laughs> how, how your many, opus. How many, how many <laughs> members of Spice Girls would have to drop out for you to not do this? Would but, you just need Jerry I think Halliwell? it's going anyway. <laughs> As long as you get, as long as Emma Bunton's not there, so Jenna can be baby. <laughs> if Emma can't do it, I'll step in. It's all like, right. It's like, it's like where's uh, where's Emma Bunton? Oh yeah, she can make it. Yeah. Uh, so, did <laughs> I you just even ask her? Oh yeah. Oh, no, I can join. I can join. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Jenna's flat, Emma Bunton. <laughs> oh, Emma, I love you. <laughs> I'm Emma now. <laughs> That, that's all I have to say Take on the Spice Girls documentary. Sinister turn, that took. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was going to go with um, Hanson, who, mm. of course, everyone remembers. Mm, bop. Bop. Uh, but I've just, I just had a sudden, you know, like a... What's it called when you get a really quick idea? A light bulb moment? Brainwave. One of those. Mm. Uh, that happened. <laughs> An idea? I mean, it's <laughs> got to be the London Boys. Oh. Now, you know, me and Jake love the London Boys. You love that for the karaoke. Yeah. So this is a, um, a German-based... English dance pop duo comprised of Eden Ephraim and Dennis Fuller. Now, they had very few hits and aren't very good. <laughs> However, they have a very interesting story. They both died in the same car crash. I think there's a, this is an untapped area, the London Boys. What, what would you call it? Um, because London well, Boys sounds like a quite low budget gangster film it does <laughs> so it would be called the London London Nights which is the name of their best song is it with a K or an N that's what I've always wondered it's well, with an N Harry it's with but, an N right but they could, it could be with a K because they that are that sounds like a Transformers film now <laughs> <laughs> well they're the, they're the knights of of pop aren't they that's what mm. they're known for they're famous for being the knights of pop yes. they're not <laughs> Protectors of the realm of surely, surely Cliff creativity. Is the knight of pop. Anyway. Sam, London <laughs> yes, Boys—they're quite a niche band, and um, London yeah. Nights is one of your favourite songs of the karaoke. I was just wondering if you could sort of do a little rendition so people know. Well, that's that's <laughs> the pitch. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that, Jenna. <laughs> when Jake's friend moved into his flat, um, the only thing in there from the last tenant was a vinyl of. London Nights. <laughs> yes, please. So the person that moved out took everything for. <laughs> oh, I can leave this. <laughs> That's all you need to know. I imagine it glowed as they walked in. As they walked into the flat, it's just like this record glowing oh in the middle. What is this? <laughs> uh, okay, let's vote. What do we want to see? Mm. I think. I think in terms of input and just sheer will of wanting this to happen, Jenna's yeah, I got think it. it. Yeah, oh. I think Jenna's Thanks. got it. Thanks. I think it's the Thanks. only one that actually will say. happen. Yeah. 
I mean, it's a bit mainstream, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the people will get their yeah. London nights one day. You probably need a tenner to make it. So it'd be about five minutes long, yeah. <laughs> I'll, just be re- I'll just read the Wikipedia page, as I've just done now. Uh, right, so we will be discussing Whitney, Can I Be Me later on. But first up, uh, I had the pleasure to sit down and talk to one of the most famous documentary filmmakers of recent memory, Nick Broomfield. Famous for uh, his recent documentary, uh, Tales of the Grim Sleeper, uh, his Kurt Cobain documentary, Curtin Courtney, and Big In Tupac. Uh, so many to name, so enjoy. Okay, so uh, Nick Broomfield, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. So, what was it about Whitney Houston that made you want to make this documentary about her? Well, Whitney was the first major crossover artist, which was a black artist, mainly singing and being embraced by a white audience Um, and she in a way paved the way for people like Beyonce Um, and she paid a very high price for it Um, which is that she was basically singing more sort of pop stuff Mm -hmm. than R&B gospel kind of music and um, <clears throat> you know she received a lot of criticism from her own community who kind of called her Whitey mm. Houston and things like that um, and at the same time you know she kind of had to soldier on and sort of deal with their rejection um, and also deal with kind of being something that was quite manufactured mm. and apparently when she was booed and and called Whitey Houston, she then went. She wanted to cross back to doing more R and B kind of stuff. And um, her favorite phrase when she was working with her musicians was, "Can I be me?" Um, and in fact, she said it so often when she went to the rehearsal room that they sampled it. You know, can, can, yeah. can I be me? And they would play it to her. So. Um, I just felt that was a very interesting starting okay. point with the film. And how did your opinion of Whitney change from um, from before you started making the film to, to now, I guess, now that it's finished? How has that evolved? I looked at a number of films that have been done immediately after she died, yeah. sort of Channel 5 kind of films. <clears throat> You've concentrated overwhelmingly on the drug mm. issue and her relationship with Bobby Brown. Uh, very judgmental pieces, um, very kind of news of the world, not that that exists anymore, but very tabloid, very unsympathetic, very judgmental. Um, And you kind of got the feeling she was this unapproachable diva. What I found in this amazing footage that I got hold of, which is this unseen footage of about 100 hours that I managed to get with Rudy Dolitzel, is that she was a very funny person. She had kind of amazing comedic timing, loved to laugh all the time, had this very infectious laugh, was unbelievably uh, good company, I think. People loved her. People I interviewed just adored her. And, you know, musicians uh, loved playing with her because she never sang the same way a song. She would always improvise or do something different. And, of course, they were all from gospel roots themselves. So they just loved playing with her. Uh, And so I just got the feeling that she was a great person. She would have been a great person to hang out with and 
it made it much more tragic what had happened because I think she was sort of pushed into this I think there were so many people after her that she ended up in this very you know the only private space she had in a sense was was the drugs you know? mm. so is there an element of trying to um not sort of change but sort of correct the public perception of Whitney because she's definitely seen now I guess it's kind of a tragic figure was there an element of trying to well I think her? I think she was more than being a tragic figure she was judged for being a drug addict mm. and kind of written off okay and I think her contribution to the world was not really celebrated in reality she made so many people happy yeah. And she brought joy to so many people, and she was such an inspiration to so many singers. Um, it's not that I consciously went out to make that film, mm. uh, but I felt that, in a way, when you know that, the tragedy of what happened to her at the end is even stronger. Yeah. But it's very, the difference is you're very moved, moved probably to tears, rather than this very judgmental sure. position. Okay. Um, so when you started to make this film, how much of a plan did you have going in? Or was it more like a I kind never of... really have a plan. Okay. I just kind of gather all the material yeah. I can and then start trying to do the interviews and then learn as I go. I didn't really know much about Whitney Houston at all. I wasn't a great fan. Mm. I am a fan now. Uh, and I think also, you know, when I saw that footage of Rudy's of her on stage... Mm. She's really, you can see how painful it is for her to hit some of those yeah. notes and what she, she's so pushing herself. Yeah. She's kind of like this gladiator up there, sweating yeah. and pushing it and you just think, wow, you know, this is, this was somebody, this was yeah. an amazing person. Like the drama that talks about like the muscles in her back, yeah, kind of, yeah that really shows how much uh, of her whole body and soul she's putting into this. Yeah, yeah. and that she had these incredible lungs, you know, yeah. and she could just... I think musicians loved her so much because they could play as loud as they wanted to, yeah. and she could still soar above them. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So you get some uh, amazing access to people that were close to Whitney. Um, was there anyone who particularly stood out to you during the interview process? I, I guess I really love Patty Howard. I, uh, you know, um, I hope I'll have her as a friend. Mm. Uh, in the future and Kenneth Reynolds I really l liked enormously who was the guy at Arista Records one of the guys at Arista yeah. Records who I became, I've become quite close to uh, Patty Howard I think was from gospel choirs like yeah. Whitney incredibly close to Whitney and and also very Christian so I think she and Whitney okay. had very deep conversations and she knew a lot and was also very close to Robin Crawford and still is very mm. close to her so I did feel I was sort of getting right into yeah. where Whitney's heart and okay. soul was. And were there any, um, so what was the process like trying to get people to participate in this? Was it quite it difficult? It, well, it wasn't so hard. I mean, it, of course, it's difficult. And at the time, uh, because the estate had sent out emails to everybody saying, yeah. don't take part. I was really worried. And, okay. You know, it was stressful. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, but then people did take part and sometimes it's just because we got there just before the estate emails mm. arrived I mean we 
got off you know we're pretty quick yeah someone says yes and we're like round there in two hours <laughs> you know on the next plane yeah it's not like oh we'll do it next week <laughs> you know uh, so you have to be pretty quick off the yeah. mark yeah it's, it's it, yeah it's stressful okay um i recently rewatched um kurt and courtney the other day and um, I think there is a kind of there's a sort of similarity in the subject that's kind of mm. life and death of a beloved musician right but also um, in Kurt and Courtney you yourself are on screen uh, on screen quite a bit mm. and the filmmaking is very much part of that film right could you talk about the decision to kind of stay behind the camera for Can I Be Me and to kind of yeah there was sure. there was just so much footage of Whitney in a very private and intimate mm. way that hadn't been seen before and that was incredibly revealing, not only of her, but of her relationship with Robin Crawford, yeah. her relationship with Bobby Brown, where they're like yeah. two kids together, sort of acting like in Tina Turner, yeah. things like that. And for a long time, I just couldn't get the film to work. It okay. was a very difficult edit. And then I brought a, another editor on, someone who I work with all the time, Mark Hofflin. And he said, I think what we need to do is to have Whitney take us through the film. You know, the mm. reason the film's not working is because we're not feeling Whitney. And so we sort of put Whitney's voice into it. We tried to always examine each scene as to whether we knew emotionally where Whitney mm. was. And there was no room, really, for me okay. in another film. Yeah. And uh, Kurt and Courtney is different in that Kurt, it's more of a film about the conspiracy theories around Kurt, whether mm -hmm. Courtney was involved in some way or had some knowledge of his death. Um, you know, her father, my finance being cancelled because mm. of <coughs> Courtney. All this, it's much more of a kind of gonzo film. Yeah. And this is much more of a kind of intimate portrait of a great... Sure. Uh, of a great singer, great okay. artist. Okay. Um, there's a line that Whitney says in the film, um, success doesn't change you, fame does. And, you know, you've dealt with the subject of celebrity a number of times before. I was just wondering, have your views on fame changed over the years that you've been making <clears throat> films? No, no. I, I mean, I think she's absolutely right. You know, it's success is wonderful. Yeah. We all want to do well at what we're doing or trying to do. Uh, it's when you become famous and you can't walk down the street and everyone's calling your name and you don't know any of the people who are calling your name yeah. and you can't ever be alone. I right. think she was a very private person. She loved just being nippy, which is what yeah. all her friends called her. She loved slopping around in her jeans and mooching around the shopping mall and just yeah. hanging out. And I think people just did, you know, people don't, they're not badly intentioned, but I think every time someone goes up to you and asks for your autograph or asks for a selfie or asks for... It impinges mm. on that person's ability to just carry on with their day. And I think it became just too, really too much with her. She didn't like it at all. Yeah. I mean, Bobby Brown, it's funny, Bobby Brown kind of loved it. Yeah. And reacted, you know, he was very incredibly sweet to people when they came up. And Whitney just couldn't... She just could not deal with it anymore. Yeah. I think... She retreated more and more and more. Yeah, and people, they, they throw up a number of uh, different reasons why they think what they think led to Whitney's death. Uh, it was the breakup with Bobby Brown, 
Um, someone said she does a broken heart. Um, mm. What do you think was the leading I think factor? She did have a broken heart. I think that's much more the cause of what happened, which was she was incredibly generous, incredibly kind, supporting about 50 people yeah. their entire lifestyle. And she still couldn't be herself. And her relationships, whether it be Robin or Bobby, were so disapproved of. And I think she had a pretty kind of raw deal, really. Mm. She was giving, 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 giving. Very disapproved of. Yeah. And I think it just became increasingly hard probably to just have fun. Yeah. I think she was a fun-loving person more than anything. I mean, that's what you kind of get in the footage yeah. of Rudy. She just loved having a good time. And I think that just too many demands on her. Okay. Um, so you said how the film was stressful at times. I mean, mm. you, now that you're kind of well-seasoned, I guess, in the documentary <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> filmmaking world, yeah. is, it getting e- is it easier for you to make a film now to get a film off the running? Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's obviously different from it right. being stressful during making it. Yeah, it's sure, it's easier to get uh, a film financed um, because uh, people want to make sure that they're going to get a film back yeah. when they put the money in. <clears throat> they kind of need an excuse to finance you. <clears throat> so after you've done a few films, uh, you're a safer bet mm. than somebody starting out. Okay. And um, what do you think about the state of documentary making at the moment? Like, do you watch documentaries in your personal time? Yeah, I do. Time? I do. I should watch more. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, on the in the documentary academy division, mm. so I'm supposed to watch everything. I probably get sent like two, three hundred documentaries, and obviously you can't watch that. Yeah. <clears throat> and if you're not working, I always do try and watch because there's some amazing films that you see. Yeah. And it's kind of wonderful um, with the, well, in the two years I've been doing the Whitney film I really didn't watch many sure. but I think documentary is in a really good way I okay. think it's incredibly popular in fact I'm quite amazed because I think you know when I started documentary was kind of like <clears throat> a, a, a sort of disagreeable medicine that people had right. to take occasionally uh, but it wasn't regarded as fun or entertaining or I think people have learned that you can uh, inform people in an entertaining funny yeah. way and it's, you don't have to be <coughs> hard on the sleeve and banging a drum all the time and so and there are many different styles that have emerged um, that are all very successful mm. uh, the form the documentary form storytelling form has moved forward a lot and is much more interesting yeah. than it was. Okay. And uh, could you talk about what you've got coming up next, like your next project? You know, I really don't know what I'm going to do next. I mean, I, I'm going to have the summer off Okay. and um, start on something, hopefully, in September, you know. Excellent. Great. Nick Broomfield, thanks for your time. Pleasure. Pleasure. Okay, that was uh, Nick Broomfield there. So, let's get into the documentary. Uh, first of all, guys, I just want to ask, what were your pre-existing thoughts and opinions on Whitney Houston before you saw this documentary? Where did she sit in your mind, in your life? Um, I, I knew the voice, mm-hmm. and I knew 
how strong it was, and obviously I knew the sort of tragic ending. Yeah. I think I think everyone's mm. aware of that, and I'd sort of heard rumblings about sort of her relationships mm. and and how how fractious they were. So actually, I saw it was almost like I had the sort of pieces, but this documentary really yeah. puts them all together and, and gives you a really strong idea of like where she was and actually the sort of tragic figure she yeah. she she ultimately is. I think. Yeah, Jenna. Well, I was a big fan of the Bodyguard, the movie, mm-hmm. um, and I think because she sort of she plays a singer in that film, I'd sort of got the two stories quite confused. So I watched that when I was quite young, so I always kind of were you expecting Kevin Costner just to turn I, up? I was <laughs> expecting him to be in the documentary. Um, yeah, so I kind of had known her from that, known her music, like Harry said, uh, knew of her tumultuous relationship. But I had no idea she had a problem with drugs until her death, really. Yeah. It wasn't, it didn't seem as well publicised, like, in comparison to Amy Winehouse, who had a documentary quite recently. Mm. Everyone knew what was going on there. and But for me, it was a real surprise that Whitney Houston, when she died, what, what was had been going on in her life. And yeah, watching this documentary, it was all a big surprise to me. I didn't know anything about her childhood, where she came from. And it was, like, really interesting to find out about. Yeah, I think the timing of this film is interesting because so she died in 2012. Yeah, uh, so this is a, quite a few years, of, quite a few years of a gap. And my main, because obviously, uh, yeah, I think like Harry, I knew of a couple of songs. I knew she was a popular 80s singer. I didn't really know her for musical genius per se. In my, but I wasn't a huge fan. But in my pre-existing memory of her and what I knew about her was that she was in a sort of you know. Slightly cheesy film. I mean, a film that Jenna loves, but that's, that's what I knew her for that. I knew Jenna her... looks like she could make it. <laughs> Slightly cheesy. And then had a, yeah, I knew about the drug uh, problems and then her tragic death. So for me, she was a kind of figure of tragedy more than anything. And I think what this film does is actually change that. I mean, she's still, it's still a tragic end, but I think it makes, it gives her life more meaning than I had given it, I think. Mm-hmm. I had no idea she was so successful in the 80s. Yeah, me neither. That she'd won so many awards and, and been that kind of popular. I think she's the, the... I think the Guinness Book of Records has her as the most awarded female singer of all time. Yeah, it's amazing. She is. Which, yeah. Is, which is just insane. And, and Nick Broomfield said this in the interview, and uh, it's mentioned in the film that this was before, before Beyonce, before Rihanna, before there were black artists really black female artists in the mainstream Mm -hmm. so I think in that respect she was definitely a pioneer this film has a really interesting discussion about race without without being it's not necessarily this film isn't about race but as in that there's definitely a line in the film about race and there's and about what what a black singer should or shouldn't Mm. sing and who they should and shouldn't be and I think that's I think the film's exactly right that you wouldn't have Beyonce and people like that without it but also Whitney Houston singing the song, singing the sort of pop songs she was singing, yeah. meant that black music didn't become exclusively R and B, and they say that in the film, didn't? Yeah. And she she wasn't, you know, she wasn't going to be the female James Brown, and mm. that's mentioned. I think that's really interesting that she sort of changed the view of sort of black singers and what yeah. what they could and and should do. And I guess the the interesting thing the documentary sort of says is is whether she chooses to do that or whether people sort of push her mm. down a certain path that, that means she does it. I think it was definitely alluded to that she was sort of moulded specifically and um, 
to be, you know, to be making pop music for nothing, to coin a phrase from the film, to be too um, sort of like black sounding. Yeah. Um, they sort of threw away certain versions of songs and things like that. And I didn't realise how much backlash she had. Was it the Soul Awards? Yeah, she was booed. Yeah. 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 So not staying true to her roots and where she yeah. was from. Yeah, race is really interesting in this film. Um, so yeah, we took the, the, soul, the, soul, the soul Music Awards and she was nicknamed Whitey Houston. Oh, really? Yeah. And... So I recently watched the um, OJ documentary, OJ Made in America, and they talk about how OJ wasn't marketed as a black man to America. He was marketed as OJ. And mm. even during the sort of civil rights movement, he said, oh, I'm not. They, they, he was asked for a comment about it. He would say, oh, I'm, I'm not black. I'm OJ. He, was kind of, he kind of shied away from being a black man. And it seems like that was imposed on Whitney here, which mm. is something I never knew. I think loads of pe- most people wouldn't have a clue that that was how... She was presented to the world. She was presented to a white audience at a time when, you know, in quote phrases, black music was not mainstream yet. So I think that was a really interesting part of the documentary that I didn't expect to come out of it. Yeah, and they definitely um, spoke about how they sort of tried to deny her past, that she was kind of tried to become this sort of princess, this darling yeah. for the white audience. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you think Whitney come across in the film? Because obviously it's all made with uh, pre-existing footage. Uh, obviously it's made after her death. Uh, most of the footage comes from an unmade documentary about her 1999 world tour. Uh, what, how do you think Whitney's presented in the film? I think, for me, she comes across, and, and whether it's because you know what happens and mm. that and that fit, but she comes across so vulnerable. And every time you see her interviewed, it feels like she might cry or break down or suddenly say what's really going on mm. in her life and it's really interesting every interview you see her give particularly to particularly later on sort of from 99 onwards she does this she has this nervous laugh mm. where she's asked a difficult question and she laughs and then gives a sort of non-answer to lots of things and i think it, she she comes across that she loves singing and that's all she's ever known but the, she doesn't necessarily have much control over what she's doing and what, what her schedule is and mm. things like that. She comes across really quite childlike, I think, yeah. throughout most of it. And I yeah. wonder if that's because she became famous so young, yeah. If and um, because her parents were involved in her like team, they sort of ran it for her. And then she had her best friend Robin, who was also kind of... Uh, a. I don't want to say a parenting figure, but she definitely looked up to Robin yeah. and Robin looked after her. And then same with Bobby Brown. And so I wonder if she was never given the chance to really look after herself. Yeah, it seems like she um, yeah, was constantly being told what to do, mm-hmm. being constantly being looked after, so never really got the opportunity to fully mature, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think she definitely comes across like that. She comes across incredibly nice as well at, at points like definitely there's the interview she has when she's quite young and the guy the interview says to her oh you won't be hearing my voice she says oh poor thing <laughs> yeah that was yeah, really nice yeah, that was yeah. really funny yeah, yeah. Uh, she comes just very sweet very childlike at times um, let's talk about Bobby Brown then um, because there are scenes between her and Bobby Brown that come across where they're actually a, quite a nice couple I think occasionally which surprised me because after her death I think it was kind of seen as a bit partially he was not a nice husband he was not a good partner that was certainly how it was reported yeah. and that i think i think what this documentary does is it shows bobby brown not to be the monster necessarily yeah. he he's painted as and whether and i don't think the documentary says 
he's necessarily one yeah. way or the other. I, I think it sort of leaves that up in the air. But I think it makes you realise that there must be something for their relationship to have ever been anything. Like they don't. It's not just that they they don't get on or or it, it's not a good relationship. There must yeah. be something there. And actually, you see them laughing together and having a joke yeah. and, and getting on. And I think you need to see that to to understand why they're why they're together in the first place. I think it's obvious that she's utterly in love with yeah. him, yep. um, yeah. and she seems completely infatuated by him from the first glimpses that we see of them together at yeah. that birthday party and throughout the whole ninety nine tour. You know, when he's on stage with her, you can tell that she absolutely adores him. But obviously, there's darker moments and darker yeah. sides to it. I. It's a weird moment when they um, they're sort of backstage and they kind of do this little role playing thing of I can Tina Turner, mm. and it's a slightly that is a weird scene. slightly weird moment what they're doing, but also there's something slight kind of nice about it that they kind of have this joke together, but also it's got a dark undertone. That's a really interesting scene. That it, I think it, kind of sums up their relationship in a way. Mm. It, it feels very much like. It's one of the few times where you see Bobby Brown on camera mm. and it doesn't feel like he's playing up to the camera. It feels like he's playing with her like, yeah. and they're having fun together. Often when you see Bobby Brown and he knows there's a camera there, he it feels like performing. he switches something on and he's mm. performing and suddenly becomes something different. And so actually that's a night, that feels like a private moment. Mm. It doesn't feel like a recorded moment. And, that, and I think that's why that, that scene feels slightly different, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the backstage stuff is really revealing. And there's a scene where she um, says, oh, let's just watch a girly film tonight. And and they talk about how Whitney eats all the food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of nice moments like this in the film. And I think you wouldn't get that because um, Nick Broomfield's previous films have been occasionally been more investigative. Mm-hmm. Where you sort of follow, watch him go around, sort of Gonzo journalist style, investigating something like the Cur- Curtin Courtney documentary is sort of following him, asking people about um, Kurt's death. Uh, but this is in, almost pretty much entirely made with archive footage, uh, in the same way that Amy was. So it's really trying to just paint a kind of non-biased picture of someone who we can't know anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is nice to sort of just let the footage speak for itself and to sort, and to take what you get mm, from that. Yeah. I think um, it has a lot of the 1999 tour and I think that's probably one of the pivotal moments in where she started yeah. to not be in such control of her life. And I think uh, it would have been nice, I don't know, you know, you can't magic up footage if it's not there, but yeah. to have seen what came after that a little more. I agree. And I think um, it spends... Because the the ninety nine tour is kind of the axis of the film that everything pivots mm-hmm. around, but it would have been nicer maybe to um, spend more time away from the ninety nine tour and to see the aftermath. Yeah, because we see glimpses, but I don't think we see enough because the film starts with uh, Whitney's death, mm. and that to me that's that for me that makes me think that the mm-hmm. film is kind of about okay, this is we're now going to tell you sort of what happened to lead up to the death. And I feel like once the 99 tour finishes, there should be maybe more between that and her death. I mean, obviously, you're right, we, they can't magic up footage. I think, that's a, I think that's the interesting thing, though. I think the 99 tour has all that footage. And actually, because she steps away from the limelight, mm. and then she had a brief sort of comeback sort of late on in, in her career, but because 
you can't mag- mag- magic up that yeah. footage. Actually, what would you show? And I, yeah, actually, there's, there's sort of some home home videos of her at home, and yeah. where you suddenly see her, she suddenly looks a lot older, and, yeah. look, and suddenly looks a lot weaker, and 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 like all that sort of star is taken away from her. Yeah, so maybe that's enough. So, and I think that, and I think that's why, and also. Don't forget, she is a singer, and that yeah. you want to see her sing. And that, and some of the most powerful moments in the film, when it, the scene very early on where she's singing, and the and the band are talking about how physical she is on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's back, about like the back muscles, don't they? Yeah, things like that. I think, I think that that's what makes a documentary. I think it's her, her singing, and then her tragic story against that. I mm. don't. I think sort of the after bit would 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 be great but then you don't get the voice and you don't get you don't really get the insight yeah I agree and also I think um, that members of Whitney's family and other people close to her didn't want to be a part of the documentary and didn't want to talk Um, and I think that this film would have been worse off if we would have seen the kind of more investigative element of him trying to make them talk because I think then it becomes um more of an aggressive film and that's not what this is it's it's a kind open and kind of interpretive film it is yeah and I think uh, the, the title is actually really nice because before I saw it, I thought that's a sort of strange title, mm. but I think it's absolutely perfect. Uh, another figure that I found really fascinating was Robin Crawford, who yes. I had no idea yeah. anything about yeah. her. And she seems so important to this story. The fact that she's not there, I think, says a lot about how hard that whole tour was, that mm. she's completely stepped away. But it's not just the tour either, it's... That, that's a whole yeah. life that's a whole life based around one person yeah and and then to to have to you know be away from that must you know you must not want to li- relive those those sort of memories mm. or be brought back into it and I think this film as well is a, is a critique of the media and how it yeah. how it how it attacks people and there's a big thing about her sexuality and therefore Whitney's yeah. sexuality and that that is a real like sticking point and that is a real way of you know, one one of the people says, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the people writing are, are white, and ninety nine point nine percent of them are men, and therefore, if if someone's gay, they have a problem with that, yeah. and that that is a real issue, and that that seems that seems to be they seem to get over that, and then another issue comes up, and mm. then then it's then it's the issue of Bobby Brown and their relationship, and that there being three in a two person relationship, and I yeah. think. I think Robin's really fascinating to see her on video because she she doesn't want the limelight. Mm. And no point when she's being filmed. Well, I said earlier that Bobby Brown wants to, when the camera's on, he sort of plays up to mm. it. She doesn't do that yeah. at all. All her concern is about Whitney. Yeah, and the thing, the thing is, is that, you know, there's all types of love in the world and we don't need to speculate yeah. on what yeah. kind of love Whitney and Robin had, but it definitely was there and it was very deep and they'd known each other for a very long time and Robin obviously cared so much about Whitney and to know that Robin had to step away because of how destructive yeah. Whitney's life was becoming and that she felt she couldn't do any more says a lot as to what happened post-1999, I suppose. Yeah, and our, the pictures we did at the beginning were quite fun and amusing, vaguely, mm. but I think it's interesting that sort of this documentary and also Amy are kind of looking at not just the, sort of the highs of being a musician, they're actually looking about sort of the corruptibility of fame as well Mm. and celebrity which I think is a really important theme at the moment and this film I think really captures the the, how fame and celebrity is like a a pressure cooker 
Yeah, at points in this film they say, oh, if Whitney was a pop star today, she yeah. would be dead. But also, the media wasn't quite as ferocious then as it is now. Yeah. So I wonder yeah, whether or true. not, like, you know, the media attention on Amy and the reason that in that documentary there was so much to look yeah. at and of her destruction was because the press wouldn't leave her alone. And I wonder if the same thing was happening to Whitney now. Would yeah. that be the case? And it does another... I don't want to... Conc- keep comparing this with Amy Um, but this and Amy both do this they don't have a um, voiceover narration Mm. they don't have this kind of voice telling you what's going on and I think that's important because so as as I mentioned this seems like a film about um, what what led up what led to Whitney's death and I think we don't there's not one reason why a person dies and the film luckily doesn't give one reason well it it layers it yeah yeah, so it's like the breakup of the marriage um there's obviously the drug use. There's the um, the fact that Robin left, and all these different factors keying in. Her parents. There's so many. Yeah, there's, there's so, so many, many things. things. But it doesn't pinpoint one, uh, which I think is a nice touch because then you're left just having a complete picture of a person, rather than just one aspect. Um, someone I'd like to talk about actually as well is um, David Roberts, who was her bodyguard. Oh, I. I re- what an amazing he, character. Yeah, he he comes across really. <laughs> Like yeah. really well in this. Yeah, this is he is he Welsh? Yeah, I think yeah. so. That's what that's what I picked up. Yeah, he's not apologies. really incredible voice. Yes, um, and he see yeah he he's very much oh yeah I I, I was the bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> he d- he gives a great description during the uh, about the film The Bodyguard. Yeah, and he says it's completely accurate apart from two things: one, the romantic relationship, <laughs> and two, I've never been shot. At. <laughs> 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 Which he said would make the film The Bodyguard quite dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he was he's really nice really interesting he's kind of the perfect person you want for a documentary mm. but he he's he's that fly on the wall yeah he's that person that would see everything but isn't involved in everything yeah. and I think that's what's so, and actually when he does try and step in and mm. tries to have more of an active role yeah. not in terms of when he reports what's going on and her health and everything like that that that's the end. That, yeah. That's what gets him sacked. And actually, as soon as he steps away from being just a bodyguard out of the shadows, mm. that's that's what ends up he, him leaving. Yeah. And another sort of, he seems like a positive influence. In Absolutely, terms of, yeah. Like he he's concerned about health and everything like that. Suddenly, another person is taken away, and it adds to those layers we were talking about. Yeah. Of of, of what brings down her demise. Someone else in her life, another structure of her life, it's just yeah. taken away. Okay, so that is a Whitney Can I Be Me is out now. Um, I think it's another one, another one of those great documentaries where if you're not a Whitney Houston fan, I think you'll still yeah. really admire this film. Uh, there's a lot to be loved about it, and uh, Nick Broomfield's a legend, so please go out and see it. Uh, so thanks, thanks again to CSR for letting us use their studio. So time for our Curse on Home Cinema recommendations this week. Uh, I'm going to go for La La Land, which uh, we did talk about on the podcast when it first came out. Uh, notoriously didn't win... Uh, best picture uh, but I think there's a lot to love in La La Land I think it's one of the most fun enjoyable films that you could ask for so do uh, if you haven't seen it or if you want to see it again La La Land is now on Cars and Home Cinema uh, I'm going to recommend Berlin Syndrome. Uh, it's on Curzon Home Cinema as well as in Curzon Cinema- Cinemas themselves. Uh, Helen and I reviewed it on the podcast last week, so if you have a watch of it, you can go back and listen to that. It's well worth it. Uh, and I'm going to recommend uh, Prevenge. Uh, the main reason for this is Wonder Woman's out at the moment, yeah. which is obviously uh, getting a lot of media attention because, um, well, because it's doing so well and because it has a female director. 
Uh, and so uh, Alice L- uh, Lowe directs Prevenge, uh, and it's when her baby turns you into a killer. So a pregnant woman, uh, and you know her baby sort of turns her into a killer. It's re- really good fun. Yeah. Do watch it. So yeah, excellent. Thanks for listening. Join us next week. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.